listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Yes, indeed. This is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I am your guitar expert with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. 20 years? Can you imagine that? With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings. You know, we've got a lot of really good questions to go through today, and questions that I've even... I had to research. I'm learning things from you guys. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Questions about... Out, coated strings, winding pickups, replacing pots, all kinds of good questions. What else? Yeah, we'll get to that soon. So, before we get to all those questions, I we've got some news we would like to share with our lovely podcast listeners. Drumroll. We've gone insane, and we're selling the house, and we're moving to Idaho. It's a fact. I've worked at Emerald City Guitars as their guitar repair guy for 15 years. I've lived in Seattle for 15 years. Melissa's lived here with me for... Eight. Yeah, eight years. And uh, we're both from Idaho. We're going to move back. And uh, it's kind of a huge change in our lives. I'm not going to have that regular paycheck anymore. Eric's not going to have a job at all. Yeah. So, quitting my job and moving to Idaho is going to free me up to follow um, my first passion, which is doing nothing. (laughs) No, not really. Uh, uh, Actually, it's going to free me up to build more guitars, something that I've really been struggling with because, you know, I have a -a full-time 40-hour-a-week job uh, repairing guitars and... Then, you know, my home life, family life, we have two children. So, uh, I, consequently, I really haven't had the time to build much guitars like I really want to. So, this is going to allow me to focus a little more on building guitars. I will still repair guitars, obviously. Emerald City is going to be sending me some of the more extensive restorations that they want done, you know, refrets and whatever else they're going to send me, I don't know. Idaho's really not too far from Seattle, as far as shipping goes. And um, I'm going to do repair work for anybody out in my old neck of the woods out there in eastern Idaho. And uh, I'm also going to take, as I always have, uh, repairs from anywhere around the world, but you know, specifically just people in the States that know of me and have found me through the podcast or know me through whatever reason that they know me. 
Um, people do send me repairs from all over the place. I do pickup rewinds. I do all kinds of extensive restorations on, you know, I'm kind of a vintage fender expert guy is kind of my, my, that's kind of my wheelhouse, but I do all kinds of stuff. So, um, I'm revamping my website, ericdaw.com. You can check that out. I've got my, my rates. My repair rates are actually going to be lower, uh, which does offset the cost of shipping. So check that out. Yeah. ericdaw.com. We're moving to Idaho. We're selling the house. We're buying a different house. Then I'm going to have a giant shop in the backyard of our new house uh, in Idaho. It's like a 1,200-square-foot you know, repair and manufacturing facility, basically. It's, it's going to be, be great. awesome. Yeah. And if we starve, then we'll... We'll be eating dirt. We'll eat some tree bark. And no, that's where you, the listener, comes in. We <laughs> I, we do get a lot of downloads on this podcast, and we're hoping that uh, some of you fine folks want to help us out in one way or another, and we'll get more into that as we go along. But one of the... um. Bonuses for podcast listeners about this big move is that we're going to take the show from a monthly show <gasps> to a weekly show wow. eventually. It's not going to happen right away, but um, somewhere around maybe, you know, July or June or July 2017 here. That's what year it is, right? Yes. Somewhere around the middle of the year, we're going to try to take this to a weekly show. So that's the plan. Sweet. Yeah. So stay tuned on ericdaw.com, fretfiles.com. I don't know if the podcast is going to move to a different website or not. I just don't know yet how that's all going to work, but it's all going to uh, come together nicely. So keep visiting fretfiles.com to find out what's going on there. Anyhow, that's the news on our end of the, uh, the microphone. And, uh, we do have a we do have one call. Shall we take? Let's take it. Yeah, it, you know, to if you want to call the show, and I really do encourage you to participate in the show. Um, you can contact us by calling seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. You can call or text that number seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. Give us a question or a comment, and we'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do that is go to ericdaw.com. You can click the Contact Eric link and uh, fill out a question there if you'd rather do it in on the uh, old computer, you know, like people used to communicate. Ye old computer. In the old days, just like <clears throat> Grandpa used to do. Uh... Of course, um, while you're there on my website, you can check out the guitars I make. PinUpGuitars.com. They're a thing of beauty. Let's get right to the questions, shall we? Sounds good. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Andrew from Northern California. Love the show. Uh, I'm a garage hobbyist uh, guitar nerd engineer. And uh, I've got a question for you on resetting neck, uh, mostly on acoustic, um, with a like a glued dovetail joint. I've seen and I've done um, a, a handful of neck resets using steam. Um, I've got a pressure cooker with a hose and a basketball needle that plays, you know, like you said, play the basketball, and I drill the hole at the 
12th or 14th fret, you heat up the joint with a seam and see it pop her apart. I've seen some guys online who use a tiny cartridge heater with a heat controller, um, and they do the same thing. They drill a little hole and they flip that, uh, they flip that in, and it does the same thing. It heats up the glue and then you can pop it apart. Um, I wondered if you had an opinion on that, if you tried that before, um, or if you had any experience with that. It seems like a good way to get it apart without having to mess with, like, getting excess steam and moisture into the joint and uh, maybe flushing in your finishes sometimes. Uh, also, uh, I've seen a few folks who either remove the hill cap or drill through the hill cap and do it that way uh, to get the steam into the joint. wondered uh, had experience where that was a better choice than going through the fretboard. Um, anyway, really enjoyed the show. Learned a lot and appreciate it. Hope you guys are well. Family's well. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for the call, Andrew. I uh, I didn't. I I've never heard of a cartridge heater. Have you? I have no idea what that is. So I had to look it up. I do neck resets, and I've always done it um, with steam. And the uh, the old uh, basketball needle and uh, some surgical tubing. And you can use either a pressure cooker or you can use... I have an old espresso machine that is perfect for generating some steam. Um, but yeah, you want to go in through the uh, fingerboard. You, you'll want, you want to remove the fret um, just above the, uh, g- the gap in the uh, dovetail. And uh, inject steam in there because hide glue, which is usually what we're dealing with on a neck reset, um, is water is a water-based glue, and it uh, starts to melt at you know 100 and you know between 120 and 140, 150 degrees, whatever I don't know, but uh, it's a water-based glue, so that's why we use steam. A cartridge heater. He says uh, some a lot of people are doing neck resets with a cartridge heater. I had to look it up. Here is what a cartridge heater is. It's a it's a tube shaped, heavy duty industrial jewel heating element used in the process heating industry. Usually custom manufactured to a specific watt density, based on its intended application. Well, that's that's amazing. That's pretty technical. Um, anyway, it's used in a lot of different, um, you know, applications. They use it in uh, uh, food production, HVAC compressors, immersion tank heating, fuel cells, semiconductors, medical devices, die casting, uh, plastic welding, fluid heating. Anyway, um, look up a look look that up if you don't know what it is. A, a cartridge heater. Interesting little deal. Anyway, I uh, I really can't tell you um, whether or not I would recommend doing that because I've never tried it. The tried-and-true steam method is what I'm sticking with, and I think it works great. Um, give it a try and, uh, and, and get back to me and, you know, tell me what you think. I, uh, you mentioned going back you mentioned going through the uh, the heel cap to get to the neck. I wouldn't recommend doing that. I I think that that uh, 
is unnecessary. I, I would go through the fingerboard, but yeah, cartridge heater. It's a crazy little thing. Looks They're not that expensive either. It looks like 25 30 40 bucks. You could get a little cartridge heater. Huh. Yeah. Uh, interesting little unit. I can't figure out how they're powered. Are they battery operated or what? I just looked them up, so I don't I don't know. I'm going to have to look more into cartridge heaters. Maybe that's the new slick way to do neck resets. Maybe. I really don't know because working with steam is dicey. It's tricky, for sure. I mean, especially if you're working with a a fragile old guitar that has a lacquer finish that you know, it they like to blush if you get it if you get too much steam going on with the finish sure yeah yeah great question andrew i i love learning from you guys if anybody knows about doing neck resets with a cartridge heater please write we would love to hear about your experience anyhow uh we'll go right to some uh, questions shall we sounds good we get On the back of the headstock of my Chinese Telecaster, it has a little sticker with a stylized C-E on it. I have seen that emblem before on other cheapo Asian-made gear. I always assumed it stood for Court Electric. As I'm sure you know, Court is one of the largest guitar manufacturers in the world. They make guitars for a lot of other companies that are sold under various different brand names. But seeing it on a Fender surprised me. If CE means it was made by Court, that means Court is making these Chinese fenders. And as far as I know, that's not happening. Or is it? So what does CE stand for if it's not Court? Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. That's a uh, that's a great question. Do you know what he's talking about? Have you seen that a little marking on something that says CE? Uh, I'll show you the mark. Um, maybe you'll you'll recognize it. I think um, I I think I uh, yeah. It looks like this. Yes. You've yeah. Seen that I've before. seen that. Yep. It shows up not only on gu- guitars and gear. I've seen it for years. On it shows up on almost every piece of electrical gear you buy, like music related gear, cheap right. whatever amps and Asian made guitars. Um, C E, and it's a stylized little like a half circle C and then another half circle E. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. It does not stand for Court Electric and I don't think Court Electric is the name of Court's manufacturing anyway, but good guess. Um it's actually it, what it actually stands for it's a it's a French phrase and uh it stands for conformité européenne, européenne, something like that. Yes. Conformité European. You I don't speak know. French, I don't, don't speak you? French. Uh, but it literally means European conformity. So it, is, yeah. it conforms to their standards. Yeah, right. It's a, um, uh, uh, well, I'll read you here from the website. CE marking on a product is a manufacturer's declaration that the product complies with the essential requirements of the relevant European health, safety, and environmental protection legislation. Wow. Yeah, so basically it means it conforms to their, you know, standards. It's a government thing. The government has passed laws and then you've got your product has to conform to those laws. Right. And so it's really <clears throat> for the European market. Um Well, yeah, I remember seeing that that symbol, the CE on like DVD players and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it shows up on everything here in America anyway. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, if you wanted to read more about it, you can easily find out about it on the internet. But yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's, here's some general principles of the CE marking. The CE marking shall be affixed only by the manufacturer or its authorized representative. The CE marking shall be affixed only to products to which its affixing is provided for by the specific community. I mean, come on, this is boring. But, um, yeah, it's just some legal mumbo-jumbo that people, manufacturers, have to put on their stuff, merchandise, to um, be able to sell in Europe, in, in the European Union. Yeah. That's what it is. Interesting. I know, and it shows up on guitars and amps and gear yeah. all the time. Thanks, Corey. Short and sweet. Coded strings, modern miracle or overpriced gimmick? Thanks, Ben. Cool, Ben. Thanks for the question. Uh, I like short and sweet questions. Modern, let's see. Coded strings, modern miracle or overpriced gimmick? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. And you're asking me. Well, first, can you tell <laughs> me what these strings are coded with? What's what's a coded string? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, do you know there's a company Gore-Tec? Uh, they make like winter coats. And yeah. Yes. They 10, also make 15, guitar strings. Yeah, yes. Fifteen <laughs> years ago or so, t- twenty years ago or so, they they came up with this plastic coating, basically, that they coat stuff in. And one of the things that they started coating things in was guitar strings. And their brand name is Elixir. Oh. Yeah. So the the reason behind it is because strings rust. They're metal. Right. So uh, the reasoning behind it is they coat it with this special antioxidant coating that keeps them from tarnishing or rusting. So it keeps your strings fresher longer. Right. Unfortunately, now your strings are dipped in plastic. And so it kills tone? Or? Well, some people think it, they sound a little weird. Um, they, they've gotten better. You can buy coated string. Like, Diodario makes a coated string now where you can't even hardly tell it's coated. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so it's it's a little of both. It is kind of a miracle that they can dip strings in whatever it is they're dipping. And... Uh, keep them fresher longer but i i never really liked them i don't buy them i never really liked them because the initial my initial response was so negative i just they felt funny they just felt funny yeah well but there's people that have like acid sweat that just will wear through strings that is a good point that is a really good point and those are the people that needs coat that need coated strings yeah now that is a really good point so it depends on your you know your pH level. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and it depends on how often you want to change strings. Some people like them because they don't want to mess around with changing strings. Right. And these strings really will last a lot longer. Interesting. The old uh before they got better about their coating, the early in the early days, the coating would start to wear off and you'd get these crazy whiskers all up and down your string. It was a deal breaker. Coated strings of the old west. Yeah. Back in the old days of the, around the turn of the century, <laughs> back in aught two, our coated strings used to get whiskers. <laughs> you kids think you have it rough. 
You don't know what we had to deal with. Uh, thanks for the question, Ben. We took a long time to answer your your seven-word question. Thank you so much. I'm a novice pickup maker. Got- Wait, did I even answer it? Yes, you did. I mean, it's is it a mo- modern miracle or is it an overpriced gimmick? It's both. It depends on your needs. Personally, I don't buy them because I think they're kind of gimmicky. But if you're really worried about your strings rusting or if you or if you if you sweat pure toxic <laughs> acid, then they're a modern miracle. Anyway, that's there you go. Thank you. Are you done now? Yeah, I'm all done. I'm going to take a drink of water while you read the next question. Okay. I'm a novice pickup maker. Got any tips for getting a uniform coil on hand-wound pickups? Mine seem to end up, well, lumpy. Thanks. Keep it up. J.D. Thanks, J.D. Uh, That's a great question. I have noticed, you know, it was a few months ago I saw on Facebook, I won't mention their, their name, but somebody who winds pickups was bragging about their pickup that they made and they had a picture of it and the thing just looked like hell <laughs> it just looked absolutely terrible it was all lumpy and they said yeah we hand wind all our pickups here you know it's just completely a disaster they're probably listening right now and i now. thought god keep practicing buddy <laughs> holy cow i mean you want it to look nice i mean hand wound is great but Guys, it can't be all lumpy. I mean, come on. It's got to look nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's a great question. Uh, what's his name? JD. JD. He's a novice pickup maker. Where is JD? Did it say? Doesn't say. Yeah. Um, it depends on how <clears throat> how you're winding your pickups. I, I assume you're, you're... Yeah, he's he's feeding the wire on by hand, he says. Yep. Um... I wish he would have said what machine he's using or if he made his own machine. What I've found on my machine, I've I made my own pickup winder and uh I've got to get it situated just right so that it spins in a perfect circle. If you've got any wobble, that's where you run into trouble. So you should be able to um put your pickup on there and watch as you turn it. You know, you'll see some wobble right if it's not if it's not um rotating in a perfect you know yeah it has to be perpendicular to the machine yeah it has to be it has to be it has to be making a perfect circle if it's got any wobble like a like an like an imbalanced tire like the shopping cart wheel that that wobbles right right uh so you want to make sure that it's that it's making a perfect circle that will really make a difference the other thing that you want to do is is um as you're guiding the wire on you need to be cognizant of you know stopping anywhere because that'll create a lump right so you kind of have to just get your technique down of moving the wire back and forth some some people that wind pickups they have a certain technique like some people will they'll slowly move the wire across the pickup and then quickly once once they get to the other side quickly move back and then start slowly moving again where some people just move 
their hand from side to side the same speed both ways. Right. Anyway, the point is, you've got to keep moving. You have to keep moving, and then you should stop every now and then and just see how it's going. Well, right? and as you wind, you can kind of watch... Melissa has wound pickups before. Yeah. You can kind of watch the, the, the level of your wire, you yeah. know? Because as it as it goes fast, it just looks like one thing, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And so you can kind of see any yeah, you lumps can see and what's fix going on. them as, as they go. The other thing that I do is I set up, I've got one of those <clears throat> uh, one of those lamps on a stick, you know, what is it called? A little telescoping uh, lamp that's... Desk uh, lamp. Yeah, desk lamp that's hooked onto my workbench there. So I can put the light right over my pickup, and that reflects really well off of the, uh, off of the pickup wire, because the pickup wire is metallic and it's copper. Uh, or enameled, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it's... The color it, is copper. Yeah, it it reflects light well. So get the light so it's not shining in your eyes at all, but shining on the pickup, and it really helps to see what's going on. Um, you know, th- these are all the things I can think of to tell you to get a more balanced coil. Uh, nothing else like that comes to mind, but yeah, lumpy coils are not good. You know, I, is there a sound difference or a tone difference? I don't know. Maybe a little bit, but it's really about... I mean, you you want it to look professional. Right. If it... if it, Yeah. If it looks like a child wound it, then... Well, I feel like if it gets really lumpy, then it, If it's... you're a child who winds pickups, I'm sorry <laughs> I, I offended you. I was searching for a word that wouldn't offend anyone, but I... Uh... <clears throat> I don't remember what I was saying. Yeah, it's, it's all Oh, no, if if it gets too lumpy, I feel like it might fail e- easier. Like I suppose. it could get caught or it, yeah. a, a wire could I don't know. Yeah, the 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 pickup that I was laughing about that I saw on Facebook just had it it was like two it had two lumps, you know, like a like two humps on a camel's back. That's what this pickup looked like. Wow. It kind of had a a coil up top and a coil down on the bottom and in the middle it was real it kind of had a waist in the coil you know and uh, I just thought geez not only was he proud of it but he put a picture of it on Facebook saying hey fellow pickup makers look at my you know hand wound baby he's it's listening the way right to go now. he's listening right now well, I hope so keep practicing baby <laughs> jeez Ouch. yeah thanks for the question JD <laughs> Hi, Eric. <clears throat> I have a modern Gibson SG, and one of the pots started cutting out. I want to replace it, but the problem is that it's one of those Gibsons with a circuit board, and the pots are hardwired to the whole thing. Is there a way to just replace the one bad pot, or do I need to replace the whole wiring assembly? What a pain in the neck. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Jack, I there, there might be a way to replace one pot, but why? Get that thing out of your guitar, man. Those are just... What is Gibson doing? I've talked about it enough on the podcast that I don't need to get back into it. But yeah, that would be my recommendation. Just replace the whole circuit board. You're going to be in there. You're going to have the soldering iron out. And just and replace it with a regular regular old wiring assembly then? Well, yeah. I mean, Minus the circuit board? Yeah. What's the circuit board for? Why is it even in there? What do they I'll need it for? I'll tell you why it's in there. Because Gibson saves, you know, some money 
by because now they don't have to have a worker wire their guitar. Oh. It's a scam. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> it's a scam. <laughs> so some some sort of robot. I feel like you were you're oh. like you're like Steve Martin when he when he's working at the carnival and the the carnival guy is telling him how to do his job and he's like oh oh it's a it's like a scam <laughs> you just guess people's weight and just give them some crap this this listen this crap costs us like 2 cents oh <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so gibson um decided to cut a corner it's so depressing. So robots can't just solder a wire to a pot. They have to have a circuit board. What do you mean? Aren't robots supposed to, supposed to be smart? What do you mean? Well, if, if if a robot's doing it, why can't they just have a normal wiring assembly? Oh. Well, the, the circuit board is manufactured as an assembly, and then it's just stuck in the guitar. Really easy. Oh, like, where before, oh, it would all have you'd to be have put, to put in and then wired. You'd have to put in each individual pot, oh, and then wire it, either inside or outside the guitar. But you know, you have to run a wire from this pot to this pot, and a wire from this pot to the switch, and a wire from this switch to the jack. I see. Okay. Where now, they've got their little circuit board in there, and there's literally a plug. The, the pickups, instead of having terminating at a bare wire, terminates at a plug. And on the circuit board, there's a spot that says, neck pickup. And then the wire coming out of the guitar says, neck pickup. And then you plug it in to that. It's so awful. They're so proud of their tradition, except for the fact where it comes to trying to make guitars like they used to. Anyhow... Just replace that thing, man, because it's, you know, it's a flimsy little circuit board. And it's it's like the same kind of circuit board that's like, say, in your cell phone. And how often do you replace your cell phone? How often does, does stuff like this break? Yeah. So get it out of there because it's a guitar and it doesn't need a circuit board in it. And I guess once it's out of there, put it on the floor and put on your your best boots yeah. And take your Give it heel. A good curbs dumping. <laughs> Just if I assume you're he's he's listening to a guitar repair podcast and he uh wants to know if there's a way to just replace the one bad pot. So I'm assuming he's going to do it himself. Right? right? So Jack, as long as you're in there, pots are cheap, man. They're about 5 bucks a piece. So for 20 bucks, if you're going to do it yourself, you could just replace the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what I would do, Jack. And and thanks so much for sending in the question. <clears throat> awesome podcast. I really enjoy listening to the two of you. I look forward to keeping up with future episodes. Please keep up the good work. Thank you. A few episodes ago, you mentioned your eBay horror story. I consider myself pretty knowledgeable on eBay with a 1300 plus feedback rating. So I wanted to comment on something you said. You said this seller had a good eBay rating of 96%. That is really not good. In fact, it's terrible. Here's my eBay rating scale. 100% very good. 
99.9% good, 996 to 99.8% fair, 99.5% and less is poor. You have to be pretty bad to get a 96% rating. That means one out of every 25 people is mad enough at you to leave a negative feedback. That's a lot in my book. I'm sorry you got taken by this guy. These guys are a black eye to the eBay community, and unfortunately, there are increasingly more and more of these people out there. I hope you stick to your guns and give this guy what he has coming. He should be kicked off eBay for that kind of behavior. Scott from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Um, You know, he's right. He's absolutely right, because I did some research, and that's, that's, you know, what everybody says is that uh, like 99.5 and under means they're a really bad seller. Oh. Which I had no idea. I mean, the 96% yeah. rating seems that's, pretty good, Well, right? that's an A. That's an A plus. <laughs> that's I an mean, A, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but he's absolutely right, and uh, I just didn't really know that, but uh, I, it's all good. I got my money back, but I did some research on the seller. Um, I searched his eBay name, and I can't remember it now, otherwise I'd say it. But uh, all over gear forums, people were bad-mouthing the guy. Oh, he ripped me off, and this and that. And some wise person said, well, he used to be this other... He used to have this name, and then he got kicked off eBay. And before that, he had this other name, and he got kicked off eBay. So the guy's been kicked off eBay a good half dozen times, rips people off, and I think what he does is he sells, you know, about 20 really inconsequential items where it's kind of impossible to mess it up, you know? Right. You're going to order some pit guard screws, and of course he gets positive feedback for that. Right. But for every 20 bags of pit guard screws he sells, he, he sells, sells a fraudulent guitar. Right. So you end up with a 96% feedback rating which in all actuality is terrible, which I didn't know. It seems, you know, pretty good. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 a really good point and a good thing to keep in mind for uh, people that are buying gear on eBay. 99% is what you're looking for. 99.5% and higher. Yep. Cool. Thanks for the question, Scott. Let's take a quick break. Sounds good. Okay, we'll be right back. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and apps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and apps.
Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage-style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat, 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and and, uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. You know, I was listening to both of our commercials there, thinking how silly it is because neither one of us are making anything right now. Right. Our lives are in total turmoil. Everything is packed up. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, move, put everything in a moving van and move. You know, take a twelve-hour drive and yeah. move move to Idaho. So I, I'm not making any guitars right now. Melissa's not making any straps right now, but soon we will. Yeah, yeah, soon we will. Mm-hmm. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Despite being pretty much an expert luthier, having made one mostly playable telecopy to date. So that's tongue in cheek. Uh, I guess. I, I don't guess. Know. Yeah. yeah. No, he's what? he's an expert. I have I made. Belie- I believe him. <laughs> I have made a catastrophic mistake while carving a skunk stripe neck. I carved through the skunk stripe at one end. I guess I got the channel depth wrong or the neck too thin. I really like the shape of it if one ignores the gaping hole. And it seems a shame to throw it out, though I suspect that's the only answer. Can I salvage the, the neck by gluing in a new skunk stripe, even though it will only be an eighth to a quarter inch deep in places? Or will something that thin just pop out the first time I adjust the rod? Adjust the rod? And I'm better off salvaging the rod and starting again with a new blank and calling it a learning experience. Scott from London. P.S. Keep up the great work. I look forward to the podcast every week. Right on. Scott from London. I'm having a hard time figuring out what he means. He carved through the skunk stripe at one end. Wait, what is yeah. he? What, what was he carving? Well, he so he made a neck, uh-huh. put in a truss rod out of a blank. I assume, yeah, right? Yeah, in a, and then and then put in the skunk stripe, which is on the back. Right, it's just a stripe that covers the truss rod channel. Right, down, down the back of of a. Uh, 
a maple neck, you know, Fender style, right? Right. Guitar. And it sounds like he's, he thinned it out too much and went through the skunk stripe into the truss rod channel. Oh, okay. That's what I got from it. Okay. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, so carving, he literally is carving the shape out of the block of wood, yeah, right? It was a, yeah, it was a block. Now he's making it into a neck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay, I get it. Uh, can he salvage the neck by gluing in a new skunk stripe, even though it will only be an eighth to a quarter inch deep in places? Or will something that thin just pop out the first time I adjust the rod? Here's what I would try, Scott. Um, here's what I would try. Stuart McDonald makes a, a great truss rod called a hot rod. And it's a, it's a dual action. It's a double rod. And so it, the rods exert pressure on each other in, instead of uh, on the neck, really. So uh, I, I think that that might be a good option because it's not going to put as much tension on the skunk stripe as a, as a traditional truss rod would. Was the, the route going to be big enough for that, though? I don't know. That's something he's going to have to measure and, 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 and see. Um, but it's, it's kind of a thing of beauty. Uh, I'm, look, I'm looking at the picture of it right now. Uh, it is Stuart McDonald, item number 0975. It looks like it's uh, $14.10. Yeah. Well, and then, um, yeah. Yeah, but you'll have to do some measuring, Scott. Yeah, they've got a really detailed drawing there of the depth and, and everything. Um, but it is stainless steel, an adjustment rod. It it corrects up bow or back bow um, It's a, because it's a dual system. It features twin rods in threaded brass collars. The stainless steel active rod turns for smooth neck alignment with two-way action. The hot rod requires an access cavity for the adjustment nut and a straight 7 seconds wide by 7 sixteenths deep slot measured from the bottom of the fretboard for installation. So you'll have to, uh, your mileage may vary. You'll have to see if that's going to work for Mm -hmm. you. But that's what popped into my mind. And then just glue a new skunk stripe in? Yeah, and then do a new skunk stripe and, uh, Use some real good glue. <laughs> I mean, you might as well try. Yeah. It's, you know? Yeah, it seems a shame, to, especially if you like the shape of the neck. Yeah, for 15 bucks, you know, try one of these truss rod, truss rods from Stumac. I don't know how, what shipping's going to be to London. It shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's not a guitar, it's just a truss rod, right? Right. I assume that they ship to uh, Europe. I'm sure they do. Oh, Yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody ships. Everybody to ships everywhere. <laughs> but does it conform to the European uh, conformity? Conformité. Yeah. Conformité. I guess we'll find out. Let us know how that goes. If you if you uh, if you're able to salvage it, Scott, let me know what you did and how it worked. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. It must take a fair bit of your time, and I really appreciate it. I often learn something interesting, and I always enjoy listening. Thank you. Warm regards, Jack Spira. Or Spira? I'm assuming Spira. I think Spira. S-P-I-R-A. And uh, his website is jackspiraguitars.com. And we looked at his guitars and they're pretty 
freaking amazing. They're awesome. And that's why I included this email. You know, I get emails like this from time to time. Like, they, they don't, I mean, I love it. Right. But I don't really use them in the show usually because it's just, hey, wanted to say thanks for the podcast. But he included, um, you know, his website, jackspiritguitars.com. And we looked at his website. I'm looking at it right now. It's great. He, he really does, he does this really nice inlay work. Really intricate. Um, there's a mermaid. There was one inlay. here that was like fish. He does one that they're amazing. Yeah, planets. I love the one with the planets. Yeah, the mermaid's my favorite for sure. Yeah, yeah, nice inlay work. Really nice looking guitars too. He's in uh, Australia, I think. That fish is three dimensional. He's yeah. got a fish, you know on. You know, somewhere around the twelfth fret of of an acoustic guitar, there's no other markings. There's no other inlay on the neck, but there's a fish that it just looks three dimensional. It looks it's like it's swimming awesome. out of the fret. Board. I know it's so cool. So yeah, check out his website. It's jackspiraguitars dot com. Yeah, nice Jack, work, Jack. S p i r a guitars dot yeah. com. Yeah, I really like it. <clears throat> the middle pickup on my Strat hums when I touch the pole pieces. My tech says that nothing is wrong with it, but why would only that pickup hum when I touch the pole pieces? The other two pickups don't have this problem. It's not a big problem. I can live with it, but it just really bugs me that I don't understand the cause. Any help? Ian. Yeah, great question, Ian. I think it's something I've talked about on the podcast before, but what's going on here is that, you know, there's, so so a, a pickup is a coil of wire, Right. Right. There's a, and there's a start and a finish. So inside the coil is the start and the outside of the coil is the finish. Right. Right. So, uh, but you can hook up either the start or the finish to the negative or the positive. You know, there's usually one, so like one is a ground and one is the hot. Right. Right. What's happening on your middle pickup is that the uh, the hot side of the coil is inside next closest to the pole pieces and the ground is the outside of the coil that's what's going on in your pickup the other two pickups are the opposite where the ground is closest to the pole pieces um some guitar manufacturers and some pickup manufacturers you know, they're they're kind of, in theory, they're kind of supposed to, you know, rever- reverse wound, reverse polarity is the middle pickup so that you get hum canceling. And usually they wind it backwards so that you can still have the, the, coi- the electrons running in a different direction. Right. But what some pickup makers do is they just wind all three pickups the same direction and then... On the middle pickup, they hook up the ground to the internal part of the, or the hot to the internal part of the coil. It's hard to describe. Am I doing a decent job? Do yeah, you understand? I, I understand. So when you touch your pole pieces, the hot part of the coil is right next to the pole pieces, and you're getting like a capacitive jump there. It's like when you touch, like if you take a, if you take an amp and plug a cord into it, and then go touch the tip of the plug, right. you get a, a hum. 
Right. That's the same thing, basically, that's happening on your pole pieces. It's just that it, it's not touching the pole pieces, but they're so close that there's a capacitive uh, effect happening where you're, you're, you're getting some hum when you touch those pole pieces. So that's why the hot side of the coil is next to the pole pieces and the ground is on the outside. So the question is, can you fix it? Well, yeah, you could, you could reverse the leads of that pickup, but then the, it won't be hum-canceling anymore and you, you might have phase problems. Could you reverse the polarity of the the magnets? Yes. But yeah. would that help the problem? Well, you'd have to do both. Oh. You, you, you'd have to do... Yeah, I, it, it gets complicated yeah. at that point. But that's that's why that is happening. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So at least now you know. Well, thanks for the question, Ian. <clears throat> Hi, new to the show. Thank you for sharing your information. I've been playing guitar for many years, and I now play for my church's praise team. So I traded my BC Riches for an Epiphone SG and another guitar. I got them from a smoker. I'm really interested in guitar maintenance. My questions are, is it safe to use quadruple Mm aught steel wool on the fretboard? And have you any advice for getting the smoke smell out of the guitar? Thanks so much. I'm going back and listening to all the episodes. Joe Grimm. Thanks, Joe. People have a love-hate relationship with steel wool. It's great is it to use on fingerboards and frets because it, it, it does such a good job polishing the frets and cleaning the fingerboard. The problem with it is, is that it gives off these little tiny, tiny steel wool particles and they get in your pickups and your pickups die. Yeah. Which is kind of a deal breaker for me. I've kind of stopped using it unless it's a bolt-on neck guitar and I can take the neck off. I take it in another room completely. Wow. Yeah. And then use steel wool on it in a, in like, I've got a dirty room where I use steel wool. I have never. Stuff like that. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, that's at Emerald City Guitars. Uh, here in my home shop, I really don't use steel wool if... You know, I think I have some somewhere, but I'm making pickups, and I have a pretty small shop here in my Seattle workshop, so um, I try not to use it, because those steel wool particles get everywhere, man. And when you're working with magnets, like in pickups, the magnet just attracts all the steel wool particles, and... You can't get it off. Oh my god, it's a nightmare. So I, I used to use it and just mask the pickups off, but even then... You know, you you vacuum it, you wipe it off, you brush it off, you do whatever you're going to do, and, and wow. you're all done, and you'll see a few little steel wool particles stick into the magnets. And it's impossible to control the stuff. It just gets everywhere. Huh. Yeah, so it's what really do you use instead? To polish frets? Yeah. Um, well, it depends on... How I feel, <laughs> honestly. Uh, there's a few ways to do it. <clears throat> I've got, um, you can either mask off the fretboard uh-huh. and then polish them, or you can use a a fretboard protector that has a little slot in it where this fret sticks through. Sure. Right. And so then to polish each fret, sometimes you'll just take a rag, put it in polishing compound, 
and rub it, rub it and it gets real hot. So uh, I know that uh, sometimes you use Scotch Brite instead of steel wool on some stuff. Yeah. Could you use Scotch Brite instead of? A- uh, it's not really that good for polishing oh. metal. No, it's oh, more yeah. more of an it wouldn't be, yeah, would it's it? a different deal. Um, the other ways to polish frets, I have a Dremel with a uh, a flex shaft uh-huh. attachment, and I get these little tiny polishing wheels. And uh, you know you can put your fretboard protector over the fret, and then use that little polishing wheel to really give that fret a good polish. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then. Advice for getting smoke smell out of the guitar. That's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. Uh, Here's what I would try if I were you. There's a product called Citrasolve. C-I-T-R-A-S-O-L-V. And uh, it's, it's a concentrated cleaner and degreaser, but it has a pretty strong, well scent a pretty strong fresh scent it's made with like orange oil and god knows what it's it's made with uh well let's just look and see shall we i'm looking at amazon looks like a an eight ounce bottle is is nine dollars or so uh oh wait a minute they changed the price since i looked last it's ten dollars and 58 cents for an eight ounce bottle which would actually probably last a long time because the stuff is concentrated but you can use it uh straight undiluted undiluted right out of the bottle and uh and what you just rub it on yeah it's a strong cleaner so um it uh yeah i would i would use it to really clean the surface of the what what is it he said it's a modern epiphone sg uh, he doesn't say modern, but... Oh. Well, I wouldn't use it on any lacquer guitar because this stuff is so strong, it might actually... Melt th- some Yeah, lacquer. the citrus oil might actually... Um, they make a paint stripper that's citrus oil. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, make sure it's a polyurethane guitar, like a modern Epiphone... I think he said it's an Epiphone SG, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a modern guitar. They didn't make Epiphone SGs back in the... Well, I don't know anything about guitars, so... Gibson SGs, but Epiphone is going to be a modern SG. So, yeah, Citrusolve, that's what I would try, because not only is it going to do a really good job removing that surface film of smoke, but it's also going to leave a pleasant orange (laughs) scent that's almost... If you use it straight, it's almost overpowering. Okay. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, give that a try. Thanks, Joe. Hello, I have an Epiphone SG. The owner before me put a strap button on one of the horns. What would be the best way to remove and fix the hole? Would I need to put a finish on the area as well? Thank you for the great podcast. Another Epiphone SG. Um, well, the best way to fix the hole would be to stick a dowel in there. Glue a dowel in. Yes, glue a dowel in there and cut it flush, and then uh, you you can touch it up if you want. Um, you don't have to. He says, "Do I need to put a finish on it on the area?" No, you don't have to. But yeah, 
just a dowel and some wood glue, <clears throat> and you'd be good. Um, he doesn't say what color it is. Yeah, If it's black, it would be really easy to touch up. If it's white, it's going to be almost impossible to make it look nice. Huh. Yeah. So might as well just leave it. Yeah, probably. And I'm sure it it's on the on back it. of the guitar and it's, yeah. you know. Depends on how picky you are. Yeah. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Hope your family is well. Eric, what is the benefit of a string tree? Couldn't you just put on a, a few extra wraps of string on your tuning post to angle the string down? Have you ever built a Gibson scale guitar? Keep up the great work. Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. I've never built a Gibson scale guitar. That's that's true. I never have. Um, his other question, what's the benefit of string trees? Well, it is, as your question implies... It is to improve the the downward angle behind the nut. So between the nut and the tuners, on a usually on a Fender style guitar, Gibsons don't have tr- string trees because their headstock is angled back. Right. But on a Fender headstock, where the um, headstock <clears throat> runs uh, the in the same you know direction as the whole neck does. Right. You put a string tree on there on the high strings because by the time they get to the tuner, the angle is pretty um, slight. So string trees just put downward pressure on the string to keep the string from popping out of the nut slot, A, and B, to improve tone and sustain. So if there's not enough downward pressure, then... um, the string vibration uh, can transfer through to the other side of the nut right. and kill sustain. And also, you can end up with, if there's not enough downward pressure, you end up with kind of a sitar sound to your string. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what it's for. And yes, you can just put a few extra winds on the tuner to get a little more downward pressure. Um, I have been leaving string trees off of the guitars that I make recently and you know if you can get away with it if you cut the nut just right you can get away with it and they kind of feel different with and without a string tree it's like they're easier to bend without a string tree so you've gone back and forth on that I do I go back and forth I really do (coughs) well thank you Jonathan why are Martin nut slots Nuts slanted on the bottom, and Gibson nuts aren't. Is there a reason? Is one really better than the other for some reason? Thanks for the podcast. I enjoy it. Richard in Nevada. Why are Martin nuts slanted on the bottom, and Gibson nuts aren't? Well, it's just two different companies doing things a different way. Um, If you look at a Martin, the slant on the bottom of the headstock is following the same angle of the whole headstock, so... It's just the way that they've cut their nut slot. In a Gibson, it's <clears throat> it's flat. It's the same play. I'm sorry, I'm getting over a cold and my voice is going out. It's a good thing we're at the end of the questions here. In a Gibson, the bottom of the slot is flat. <clears throat> the slot or the nut itself? The bottom of the slot and the nut, right? Oh, oh, so, oh I see. Because the nut sits in the slot. Right. 
Oh, I was thinking like the the nut slots, as in the the slot for the yeah, not the, the slot string. for the string, but the slot for the, the nut actual, to actually sit. The okay. actual slot in the neck where the nut sits. I see. Okay. On, on Martin's, it's slanted, and on Gibson's, it's flat. It does make replacing nuts on Martin's a little trickier, and it makes them a little trickier to remove as well. Are but they if, glued in? Uh, yeah, typically. Yeah. 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 Sometimes they're not. But, yeah, they're they're typically glued in. And it actually makes getting that nut out a little bit trickier, too. Um, on a Gibson, you can... Uh, you can rock it back and forth just a tiny bit, and it, you know it's like a loose tooth. Right. At that point, you can usually pull it out. You have to score on the sides of the neck where the nut is because they usually put the nut in and then paint the guitar. And you want to make sure you cut through the paint so that you don't take a big chip of paint with you or something. Right. But <clears throat> on a Martin, the that slanted bottom of the nut makes it hard to get the thing out the same way that you can get out a Gibson nut. Sure, that anyway, makes sense, yeah. Why do they do it that way? I don't know. I really don't know. Is there an advantage one way over the other? No, it's really just two different manufacturing uh, processes. That's just what Martin's always done, and that's just what Gibson's always done. I don't think there's really any rhyme or reason behind it other than that's just the way they've always done it. All right. Thanks, Richard. That's the questions, and my voice is just about gone, so we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Keep the questions coming. Uh, I really appreciate it if you'd participate in the show. 757-774-8482. You can call or text. And if you'd rather email, go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can email your question there. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. You're welcome. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com, our podcast network. Thanks to Emerald City Guitars, especially for this episode. I would like to say thanks for 15 years. It's been so awesome. And if you're one of my Seattle customers, I want to thank each one of you individually. I really do. And I hope to see... Some of you, before I go, my last day at Emerald City is on April 28th. I will be at the Seattle-Tacoma Guitar Show the 29th and 30th, working at the Emerald City Guitars booth. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you go down to the uh, guitar show, come say hi to me there at the uh, at Emerald City Guitars booth. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>